Hello, and welcome to the Filmmaking Sucks podcast. Uh, the last few weekends, there's been some inclement weather here in the New York City area, as well as a bunch of you know shows and film festivals that we've been attending. So unfortunately, getting together to record this show has been kind of difficult. Uh, we, 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 we do have... We do have new episodes coming our way, like, very, very soon, so please look forward to those. Uh, the same goes to the Works Lurks on Channel X podcast as well, for those of you who are wondering. Uh, there are new episodes coming. We just have to find the time to get together. We are going to be working on uh, possibly uh, recording via Skype, so that this way uh, we, can still, uh, we can still discuss, even though we can't physically be in the same room. Uh, the last thing I want to do is, is have telephone calls, because that just... That really ruins uh, audio quality, and and it's just not what people expect out of us. Fret not, though. Uh, I, I, we still have more panels from the Macabre Fair Film Festival to bring to you um, in the meantime. So this way, you know, you still have something to listen to while we work out our little individual kinks. This week, we have the audio from a panel on cinematography, which was hosted by myself, Manny Serrano, and Patrick Devaney from uh, Devereux Films, the director of Impervia and uh, Amirage. I've worked with him for a number of years, and uh, um, our opinions differ, but um, in, in the end, it, 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 it creates a very, very good working environment, and, and we come out, we, we, we bring out the best in each other. So uh, while the plan was to discuss cinematography itself, we kind of veered more towards discussing how your choice of cameras and equipment do and do not matter for your film. Yeah, do and do not matter. Because the truth is, you need certain equipment to do certain things within your films, but you don't need anything specific to create a great film and to tell an amazing story. The panel was also videographed by Kurt Essman at Macabre Fair, and you can find the video of it on our website at massgravepictures.com within the show notes of this. So... um, in the video, you can see some of the equipment we're discussing. Uh, There's really not too much equipment, but it's sitting on the table, and uh, I think we play with it once or twice during the course of it and show it off, and we use a couple of visual cues, so uh, that video will help you with some of that. Uh, so I, I hope you enjoy this episode, because uh, as, as Alex Ferrari of uh, Indie Film Hustle would say, uh, we drop a lot of knowledge bombs in it, and uh, I think many filmmakers will find this extremely useful. So remember to subscribe to us on iTunes and support us by leaving a star rating and comment as usual. Thanks, everyone. Uh, Remember, no one is holding you back from achieving your dreams other than yourself. Take care, everybody, and make great films. Do you want to introduce us? Okay, everybody. um, uh, Thank you for uh, stopping by our our small panel. Um, uh, We're going to be discussing uh, cinematography in general and, I guess, anything associated with it you guys would like to talk about. my name is uh, Patrick Devaney. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a film director, not so much a, a cinematographer myself. Um, I had two films here in the uh, festival this weekend, and uh, last night uh, we went away with four different awards for my film Impervia, and uh, one of them was Best Cinematography. I wish my, my cinematographer was actually here so you could discuss this better with me. But, um, but yeah, we, uh, we, we walked away with four awards last night, and, uh, and that was due to the... In, in very big part to the outstanding camera work by my guy Mark Boutros. Yeah, just yeah, fantastic, fantastic chef, uh, cameraman, fantastic. And uh, I'm Manny Serrano. Yay! Uh, yeah, another also. Thank you. <laughs> uh, my film Theta States premiered this weekend. Uh, second feature film. Um, I was also I I generally run I'm my own uh, director of photography. I run my own cameras. Uh, 
generally run his camera. It's true. Impervia <laughs> is uh, his first project, and I don't know how many years that I have not shot. That so. is true. Yeah. 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 In, in the last, maybe since like, since like 2009. Yeah. 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 It was a, it was the first time because uh, unfortunately he scheduled his shoot the weekend of our fifth anniversary and we were in Florida. But that's when his that's when he got the location and it worked out. Unfortunately, <laughs> and, and but as, fortunate for him. And as you guys know, if you get a location, especially yes. one where no one's asking you for payment for. You take it on the days that they give it to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but they were also they were also in um, in massive pre production for for uh, Theta States, mm-hmm. which um, which which premiered this year this this weekend, and I, I think it's phenomenal. It absolutely killed when people first saw it, and um, and uh, Lindsay Serrano, who's my usual AD, was of course AD on Theta States, so she was completely booked into that and I wasn't even going to bother her with anything yeah. else she's six weeks away from doing her feature and I'm like hey by the way we're going out to Pennsylvania you gotta uh, move for th- like four yeah, days like, <laughs> I'm like, sorry no, that, was never, no. that was never gonna happen I'm sorry but you're on your own this time buddy <laughs> I, I apologize but but, um, but, but yeah. obviously it worked out very well for them as they, they took the award so that's, that's all that matters <laughs> took the award who knows maybe the I, other, other. I could have fucked it up <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you really could have it's true Totally no, no, better. no, you, you never would have. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that, I was lucky because the other half of of um, uh, my normal camera crew that I'm very blessed with, uh, he was able to make it. You know, so he was the guy that shot that, and you know, you know, later on, I'll, I'll show you a poster from here. It's all unretouched pictures from the actual scenes from the film. You know, and you can see exactly how beautiful this is. But the, um, but yeah, we um, uh, Elsie had asked us to sit down and talk about uh, different kinds of styles, and even though. I was wondering if Manny would be on the panel with this because even though we have worked together for eight years now, almost, um, uh, so closely and intensely, we pretty much couldn't see how to shoot films differently. And I think that maybe that's kind of like how we get things done because I have a definite view on how I want things shot. And he's like, I can't believe that you shoot like that. <laughs> and that's pretty much what we do all the time. Somewhere in the middle, you know, yeah. it, it, it kind of works. They, they say that if, if you have two partners and they're always in agreement, then one of them is redundant. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it does work out. We don't always agree, but it, do, and it does work out. And every now and then, you know, he comes up with some idea, and I'm just like, oh, I never even saw it that way. But a much more, as you guys know, if you're, if you're all camera people, I mean, like, a much more trained eye through the lens, a good director or a good producer is always going to trust that. You know, you, you still might disagree with it and may not go with that shot, but you always have to trust that. And uh, I'm very lucky that I have someone like him and people like Mark Bruchos and uh, that I can I can say, listen, did you get that shot? Is it right? And he'll tell me yes. And I'm like, good, we're moving on. <laughs> Even if I haven't seen it, I know. I know. So that's that's the, a little shorthand that we have that's really, really wonderful to have. You know, and that's, that's extremely important. Anybody else here shoot their own films? What do you uh, shoot with? What, what types of movies you make, and what do you shoot with? Um, in the past, I've shot. I've worked uh, three identical Canons uh, HD cameras, uh, six hundred bucks a pop. Okay. And uh, but they give you a good quality image, and it's a lot. Of, there's a lot of auto to it. It's either you know auto uh, aperture or auto shutter, just mm-hmm. you know balanced exposure. And um, I've done the majority of my work on that. And last year, I picked up a um, Panasonic 4K, but I don't you know. When it says 4K on the box, it is, you know, that's 4K in one format, in one... Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And that's... you find out you're really shooting in, in Ultra HD or Ultra HD. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a, 
a much better camera. It has, you know, I have discrete controls over the, you know, uh, the iris, etc. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, trying to learn that, it's it's kind of heavy on the on the computer because my computer is you know eight years old. But yes. It's still thirty two gigabytes. It's kind right. of like I got SSD cards on the PCI, so you know, if you know anything about computers, that's you know, yeah, 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 and. Uh, you know, uh, most of my stuff on YouTube is mostly music videos. I did a lot for um, a couple of bands that I knew um, down in Bayshore at Evenflow. I don't know if you've ever heard of that place. And also Revolution and Amityville. So oh, okay. A couple of, like okay. three camera shows and, you know, cut it. You know, cam you know, camera one, camera two, camera three. You sure. Know, you can edit it afterwards. It's great. Um, and also a couple shorts, commercials. And I did some stuff for uh, my employer at the school district. I shot some, you know infomercials, you know, okay. about this and that. And, you know, every time I, it's great doing the small little projects because you can change what you do, you know, next time, at least on your own stuff, you can experiment and say, okay, this time I'm going to screw, screw around with this stuff and, and try a different style or, or experiment. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's the nice thing about doing little things, but I want to do a big thing, Yeah. you know, like a you know, short feature, you know, 20, 30 minutes, just the, you know, five and ten minute things I can do, but they're mostly, you know, weekend warrior. Yeah, right. <clears throat> I, I've, I've always seen, um, not not to the length that he does, but I've always seen short films as your practice run. Um, I think a 30 minute short film is not practice. No. And then most of his, uh, damn, right. I thought about it last night. Everything when you said it, almost everything he's written and shot—that's his. It's approximately thirty minutes. It just yeah, happens the, to be the format that works for him in his uh, screenplays. Yeah, I, I do. I do almost exclusively long-form um, shorts. They call they, I saw him call them featurettes. Yeah, and one of the, and one of the most difficult parts of that is, um, we, and we talked about this in another panel. Um, if you guys have ever submitted to festivals, you know that in between. Oh, hello, ma'am. <laughs> Hi. You want to come do this way? You want to sit over here? Your choice. You want to come right over here? I just didn't want to trip up people as they were coming. How you doing? You, you were up late last night. I saw you. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, so um, uh, we're saying the... Um, yeah, I, I do mostly exclusively um, uh, long, short forts, uh, long form shorts. And... Um, one of the issues that I, that I discovered years ago, um, I had a I had a sci-fi film here that played three years ago, made its premiere called Emrage. It was um, an adaptation of a story from Heavy Metal Magazine from back in the 80s. Found the original artist. I, I read this in high school. I loved it. Found the original artist. He's 75 years old, living in Paris. And I said, I'd love to make a film of yours. And he said, I found, this is so long ago, I found him on MySpace. I thought it was his fan page. And I said, "Listen, um, I don't know if this is you, but I'd like to, you know, do a film of yours. I love your, I love this you know, four little page thing from 1981." And um, and uh, he wrote back to me. He says, "Listen, I'm, I'm all for it, but my my uh, when I was a young man, I had to sell half my rights to the publishers. So I'm going to put you in touch with their lawyers." And we, I got the rights to this thing, and we made wow. this small film of it. And it, it and and uh, you know, it was a dream come true. This is a story that played in my head for 30 years. So we got that done, and it premiered here. And it was um, 34 minutes and two seconds. The impervia that I played last night was 34 minutes and four seconds. 
and I didn't plan that. It's it's just how I how, how I see things. I think it's just growing up watching the Twilight Zone constantly. I mean, I think I, I just see stories in that. Um, but what I found three years ago with that with the other movie Emirage, and I've also been finding with Impervia, is that there's this crazy thing with festivals that shorts are considered twenty minutes and below. You know, so if you guys are doing short films, you got to know about this. Shorts are considered 20 minutes and below for most festivals. Features are considered 60 minutes and above for most festivals. So anything from 21 minutes to 59 minutes, they won't even say it's a film. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist to them. And, and a perfect example, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag, but, you know, last night we won four awards. Last, this past week, we were rejected from seven different festivals because uh, we don't know what to do with that time format. Yeah. Award-winning film at its premiere, and they won't play it. They, they they can schedule more of them, and I'm, I understand there's scheduling and more point. And evenly. Yeah, and that's can, what it is. Yeah, you can you can put it in blocks evenly, but I, I liken it to you know you have you, if you have a, you know a painter who has some, who shows some talent, and then saying hey listen you know these are the canvases you can use that's the size you can use and this is the position you can use you can't paint anything other than that box. It's like radio in the, in the, the days when you couldn't have a song over three minutes. Yeah. Exactly. Yep, exactly. 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 So that's one of the problems that, that I'm, I'm running into. But um, but uh, but yeah. I mean, you know, doing doing your shorts. I mean, it, it, you can you people can knock out two and three minute shorts. I mean, everyone everyone here. I'm pretty much sure everyone here can do that. You know, once you start getting into the longer stuff, yeah. It's like, like you said. It's like you know, it's, yeah. it's it's no longer practice. That's that's just your medium. Yeah. That's mostly you know? what I do. I do a lot of either super shorts like that under 10 minutes I think almost all of my short films with the exception of one is under 10 minutes and everything else is a uh, feature I mean, technically brain, brain people started out as eight short films right you know they were all we did individual it was, a, it was a web series we did and the longest episode I think was eight and a half minutes Att- we, Attack of the Brain People if you guys have yes. not seen this it sounds insane and it was insane yeah. you know and it was very very good shot directed by, by Lindsay over there yes yes, yes. Uh, I was her I was a cameraman for that uh, and, I, was, and I, I, I was the leader of the brain people. So it was a web series that you turned into a movie? Uh, we, I edited them together into one solid piece uh, and it ended up being 53 minutes so I'm running into the same problem that he's having where nobody wants it because of the time even you had more success as a web, web series as opposed to a single the web series sold it very well because it was one episode a week every week and um, I already had the DVDs done as a solid piece so the last episode happened to be the weekend monster of Monster Mania if anybody's been to Monster Mania another horror convention so I didn't put it up there I said you want to see the last episode you got to come by the DVD and we sold 90 nice. copies that weekend. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, you, you, you had a fan base. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, we had it on YouTube and Vimeo. Yeah. So, uh, and he released it, like, I think it was like, what, one, one episode a week. One episode so a week. So it was for, like the old Flash Gordon serial, yeah. so you had to see like this. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was great. I forgot that you did that. That's right. That's it right. worked. It worked. Now we got the format where, like, Stranger Things, they throw it for Netflix. They put the entire series. Yeah. Yeah. Watching it for yeah, yeah a, l- a lot of series do the Orange and the Black does it like that. A lot of different series do it like that. At some point, yeah. I think we have to work in cinematography into this. We can't. We, 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 we eventually will. Yeah, that, that is true. That is, <laughs> that is true. That is true. Um, so, okay. Go, go. All right. I'm, just, I just, I'm trying to figure out how to run it in. Uh, so, anyway, everybody has. Uh, I think let's, I, I want to be. I'm going to try and be specific. How about that? Absolutely. All right. Everybody has a cell phone in their pocket. Okay. Uh, most people will spend a couple hundred dollars on a cell phone. I have a Galaxy 7, S7 Edge 
That is a $750, $800 phone, depending which carrier you get it from. On this phone is a 4K camera. All right? This is becoming standard for shooting film. All right? And you get, when you shoot a movie in HD now, first off, that's bare minimum. If you do not shoot your movie in HD, you are not getting distribution. No distributor will touch it, period. So if you have an old uh, standard camera, an old, if it doesn't do H, throw it out unless you're going to use it for you know, family gatherings or something. No distributor will touch it. Uh, and when you blow it up, or even when you put it on YouTube, you blow that up to HD, it's going to look terrible. So if you're thinking of this to make your movies or anything like that, think about upgrading. I've never, I've never seen up-res work. It doesn't. It doesn't work very it can well. Get it doesn't better, work well but all. it does not work. If yeah. you, even even three thousand dollar processor, you have standard definition. You up-res it to, to, to even you know twelve eighty. Mm-hmm. You know it's never going to work. And um, I've been a little opposed to upgrading to four K for a while now, simply because the file sizes are so large. Uh, it's almost almost impossible right now to stream a true four K anything. All right, people have 4K TVs and then and, and a few things, but it is damn near impossible for them to stream full 4K. Everything is a compressed file format, so you're getting a much smaller version of of it. So even you have a 4K TV and uh, NBC is broadcasting in 4K, that 4K is highly compressed, so you are losing quality. Generally, you're not going to notice it because you're just you're just watching. You're, but you're, most people are watching their TV from eight to ten feet away, so you're not going to notice it. You get up close on your TV, you will see those little aberrations. But how many people still have? How many people have a 4K TV yet? Okay. <laughs> well, whatever. You're the only one. <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless, though, it's it's going to happen. You will be ready when things when 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 the fiber optics are all you know ready everywhere. Yes, when it's all when it's all ready when it's all ready to go, you'll be ready to go with it. Uh, the benefit, though, to shooting 4K now, even though. At, at, even at our level, we're probably only rendering to Blu-ray, which is going to be regular HD. Uh, a good 70% of the chance our distributor is only going to do DVD up till now. That's probably changing. So, which means we're, we're still rendering to standard. Okay? And most of the time, we're rendering to just plain HD, but we're shooting in 4K. So basically, we have an image the size of this screen, and we're going to render it to HD, which is about this big. And that big. The benefit of shooting in 4K now. You have this entire image. You can now reframe your entire shot with this. So you're taking your, let's see, here's your HD image. Can't turn that sideways. Here's your HD image, and that's your 4K image. In editing now, you can do anything you want with this picture and not lose resolution. Say you're looking at, this is a whole landscape, and you take this is, say we're looking at a desert. You have the camera sitting on a tripod just like this, and you have a 4K image. But you have a dead still image, and you got actors doing whatever, there's a war scene going on, or whatever you're shooting. You can now create a pan across that didn't exist anymore. You had a stable shot. Now, in editing, all you have to do is crop it and pan across. 
you have an entirely new sh- scene. Mm-hmm. Everything is completely different. You can now get a close-up of your actor that was here when you had a full-body shot of him. Well, now we can get a close-up out of it. And that's, that's the beauty of 4K right now, especially if you're going to HD. If you're only going to render in HD, that's the beauty of 4K. And that's where your... What's the word I'm looking for? You don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, you're future-proofing it. You're plan- yeah, well, beyond future-proofing, you're, 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 the, 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 your cinematography, the eye, what you're going to shoot, okay? Planning your shots out comes in handy that way. Because now you know what you can do with your shot. And you say, well, I'm not entirely – sometimes you get to set and you're like, I really don't know how I want to shoot this. So the benefit of the new technology is sometimes you don't have to know how to shoot it anymore. You, because a lot of the time, the ca- a lot of the time your director, your cameraman are, could be the same person. Uh, and most of the time, one of the two of them is the editor as well. So – just like film did long time ago, which is also what I'm loving about this HD and the new 4K stuff and the raw format and everything, it works like film processing used to now. Color grading is the new film development. You shoot in flat colors. The Blackmagic Cinema camera shoots, when you look at it in the camera, when it is in its raw... Uh, uh, um, the what's the color profile uh, uh, standard color profile looking at it in camera it looks almost black and white because the colors are so just desaturated it's very plain or all it's doing is picking up the information that's physically hitting the lens and into the uh, sensor so when you put that into your color grading you can do anything you want you can make your character you can make your people smurfs because it's it's not hard coding your image into it. It's not saying, oh, this is the color, and it's staying that way. Yeah, they got the Da Vinci. Da Vinci. Exactly, in Da Vinci. Around. Yep. I'm in the midst of shopping around for cameras and stuff. I'm, I'm, you know, I've gotten away like from wanting a fixed lens camera. I'm thinking about getting that as entry level mm-hmm. anyway, but I've been more and more looking at interchangeable lenses, so I've been looking at Blackmagic, I've been looking at Sony NEX. Yeah. FS100 and a bunch of others. But I was I looking at the that, NEX a long time ago, too. Um, because it had the Da Vinci, mm-hmm. and it has, that's, like, yeah. good. Yeah. Well, yeah, the DaVinci um, Resolve is, is, is an amazing Resolve program. is excellent. If you're shooting in 4K, yes, it would probably be most cost-effective to get a Blackmagic camera of some sort because it comes with it. Right. But if you're, I don't know if they will edit in it. But I know that in order to render in 4K, you have to buy DaVinci. Right. But if you're only rendering into standard or HD, it's free. So anybody who wants to start learning color grading and editing in general, DaVinci Resolve is a free, 100% free program unless you are working with 4K footage. You, and the new version of Resolve, uh, up until this point, it's just been a color grading program. All right. Uh, we'll get into the difference between color correction and color grading. Uh, but it has been a color grading program. It is a industry standard level color grader. This is something that uh, 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 um, editors who work at $1,000 an hour use this program. And you can go to their website right now and download it completely free. So if you want to learn how to use any sort of color and post color correct, this is the program to start with. 
Does it work with whatever I run as I've Adobe? Uh, it is, oh, oh, it'll export straight to Adobe. It'll export and import from Adobe completely. It'll work with Final Cut as well. Um, it uh, it works with a lot. Uh, I'm off the top of my head. I'm not sure, but the newest version. I mean, they're all free. Period. The newest version, though, is not just color grading. They've actually introduced a full nonlinear editor, which is basic. This is your linear editing was film cutting, where you can only do one scene at a time. You know, uh, nonlinear is your digital editing. So it is a full nonlinear editing program now with complete color grading. Uh, uh, options on it. It also, it also has um, some serious motion tracking abilities as well. Um, we went to, um, we went to um, a CCW mm-hmm. at the, um, yeah. the content and creation world, and um, it's, it's, a, it's a convention at Javits Center every November. If you guys are into this kind of thing, you can go, and if you go online, um, <clears throat> you, can pretty, you can pretty much just get... NAB you know, show. Uh, yeah, it's a NAB it's show. It's NAB show. It's now NAB. Now it's NAB, NAB show. And yeah. um, and uh, you can see if you can get free passes for it, and you can go and see, it and you see all this new equipment and all the new, and they ha- and they have they have lectures about how to yeah. work all this stuff. We went to one for um, for Resolve, and not only were they color correcting people's eyes, but they were tracking the motion of the new mm-hmm. color with yeah. people running around in a yeah. room. <laughs> you know, yeah. so there so there are, are things like that. You don't have to you know you don't have to export the smoke to do the one thing, or back to back to After Effects to do another thing. It's programs like this, they're all kind of becoming integrated. You know, I didn't know that about about the ad, adding the uh, NLE part, which yeah, is really nice. The newest version. Does, I did. That's yes. really that's really really nice. So, yeah. you, so people are going to get that, and they're going to have pretty much just that. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, but I do I do like the um, the the concept of, of keeping everything as flat as possible. Everyone has a different style of how they shoot. Um, uh, I know so many people that want to have as close to the final product in their camera as possible. So they'll they'll change the color of things. They'll light it a certain way. They'll do that. That is him. Okay? I've always been that way. I like in-camera everything. I like as much to be done right then and there as possible. Um, mainly because it saves me time in post. The color is done. My lighting is done. It's all there. All I got to do is fix a little bit of contrast, maybe some skin tone, which is color correction. Color correction is basically making your whites in, on screen white again and making your blacks black. That's color correction. This is basic. If it's if your whites are not white, then um, characters' faces, <clears throat> people turn green. Their skin looks orange. Uh, mm-hmm. That's color correction. Just making everything look natural. Even though you may have a specific color palette in mind for everything, those colors have to look natural. Otherwise, people look at it and say, what the fuck am I watching here? <laughs> you know, it looks ridiculous. It looks terrible. So that's color correction. Color grading is what he was talking about, where you can change the color of a person's eyes. Uh, in, in, in my new film... Uh, in, in Theta, we did, um, we shot, the first, first scenes we shot, we shot during Christmas week. Um, we shot it in my brother's apartment. They had the Christmas tree up and they had all that. So it's obviously Christmas, all right? We shot the movie for the next 10 months. So we lost the snow. We got leaves on trees all of a sudden. The, the, the color of the sun is different in the atmosphere. Everything is completely different depending what time of year you shoot. Uh, so a lot of our scenes were obviously shot in June or July. With the color grading, we had done a couple of exteriors in February. And we shot in uh, Persephone. We were in Persephone, New Jersey. And it just so happened there was just enough, no, just enough frost in the air. And uh, the dew was still on the trees. And when we got the sh- when we got this close up of the actor, 
the sun hitting the atmosphere around him actually created a little bit of a haze behind him. And the trees behind him looked blue and frosted. It was the most... It was the strangest thing I've ever seen. When Chris saw it, he thought I digitally added trees. Because <laughs> the trees just naturally came up blue. I totally did not intend for it to happen. It just, like, that moment in that shot, it looked great. So when I brought it to my color grader, David Geshman, who is absolutely incredible at what he does. Yep. When I brought it to my color grader, he went through the entire movie and made every tree in the whole movie give it that same blue hue. So even though there's leaves on the trees, it looks like the middle of December and the trees are frozen. Wow. And that's what color grading can do. <laughs> Another point, um, uh, not to get out of cinematography, but um, uh, Dave Geshman is someone that uh, I worked with two on my last two films. Um, and and uh, I mentioned Impervia before. Um, he worked with me and he used my CG artist for this. Um, there is a 34-minute short. There are 71 different special effects pieces inside it, and some of them are obvious and some of them very subtle. But he, but we worked out 71 different, you know, projects with this. Um, once, you, once you get the, knowing a good CG artist and knowing a good color grader, that's you know, whatever you shoot, when you have someone like that, or or if you become that, you know, that's indispensable, absolutely indispensable. What he's saying is true. He he likes to shoot that way, and we work together so often. I like to do the exact opposite because in general um, I don't make movies that happen in the real world. Most of my stuff is real science fantasy. It's all very strange. I know that whatever whatever he shoots for me or my other cinematographer shoots for me, I know I'm going to twist it into all different kinds of ways. Right? There's never going to be a natural color in anything that I do. I mean, everything that... I mean, in, in this... Um, um, we, sh- we, shot th- we shot this uh, in color because the... the, the um, the uh, Atomos, the Atomos um, yeah. uh, recorder we were using, we weren't sure if we were going to get the proper the proper tone if we shot in monochrome. So we shot it in color, and I downgraded it into monochrome. And then I processed the hell out of every single frame, and I did a, cu- a customized um, uh, color pattern. I did a, um, a, a LUT for the whole entire thing, which is a 16% copper coverage. So the but the after the over effect, um, if you guys want to see this at two twenty, it's playing in room D. If you want to see the overall effect of this, um, uh, the entire film has a sixteen percent kind of brownish copper. Or you can tone see, you to can it, see it you know? in the poster. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not black and white. Yeah. That's obvious. That's not black and white. It has its own. <clears throat> so it's you know it doesn't always show up on, on projectors at festivals, but in, but the actual uh, the actual image that's exactly what it looks like. You know. Hmm? I will give you one at the end of the. Yeah. Um, and, ex- and the exception of um, actress Dina Demko, who's in the very middle on the bottom, those are all. She's in the b- she's in the back. Oh, she's in the, right in the back. Yeah. Um, um, all of um, all of these images are unretouched from the film itself. So those are so those are the basic images that my guy got, and then we processed the hell out of this thing. Um, but see, I, I, that, that's the kind of stuff I do. It's either high, high gigantic technicolor, it's really unsaturated, but it's, it's all fantasy stuff. So I never really... We shot it in color. We downgraded it, but I got as, as neutral as possible, and then we downgraded it to monochrome. Neutral. That's the word I was know? looking for. Not and standard. Then, neutral. And then we, um, and then, and then I, in, in post, every single, every single uh, section was redone, and then the entire thing was redone overall. Um, but I, but I like getting it as neutral as possible because I don't. 
any image that I capture just from my style, I'm not going to use that image. I don't think I've ever used any kind of image on its own. He'll get me beautiful images. I'll still tweak it somehow. I'm still going to screw with it somehow. What does it mean when you say neutral? Is that just an exposure? What I was saying with the black magic, when it shoots, it looks almost black and white. It's very neutral colors. There's no no one color. Middle. If that makes any sense, yeah. middle. Um, um, uh, the, yeah, the, the blacks right. aren't really crushed. They're they're more in the lighter, uh, lighter sense. Blacks aren't totally black. Exactly. You know, You're not peeking in either. Yeah. Exactly. Again, it it depends on the, it depends on the quality of the camera too. Neutral on a Canon 60D is completely different than neutral on a Blackmagic. Those are two entire. They, they look completely different. Those two cameras, un, uh, unless you have someone like Dave Geshman, who is talented as hell and knows what he's doing, you are never going to get those two cameras to look alike. You know, and in order for him to get it, it's a process um, because they just they pick up color information completely differently. Um, unfortunately, well, the higher the higher grade the camera is, the better the more color information it's going to get, even if it doesn't look that way. You know, because uh, cameras in and of themselves. They are. They have a little tiny computer inside it. You know. Well, Canon in general is very warm. Always has been. Their lenses, their sensors, even Canon film cameras come up very warm. Everything has a little orange and reddish hue to them. Okay. Um, Nikon is blue. Everything's very cool colors. Uh, we had, uh, and, and that's even in their lenses. Sony uh, could do that too. Sony, Sony can, very, Sony can very, go. Very, very cool. Sony goes more white, so it comes up uh, cool. Yeah. But Sony is more of a more of a, more of a white palette. Uh, um, but it just comes up cool to the eye. But Nikon is definitely a blue bluer palette. Uh, when we shot uh, Blood Slaughter, we did. We were all using the same Canon 60D. We're all using the same co- uh, cameras. But one of my cameramen had a Nikon lens, and the other two had Canon lenses. And we had three cameras on the same scene, and his was obviously a different lens. So when you're making your decision as to what you want to shoot your movie with, um, your which brand of lens you shoot with makes a huge difference. We have the same lighting, the same cameras, and the lens, everything came up a little bit bluer and a little bit sharper too because Canon in general has, a, has more of a soft focus look. Um, Canon and Nikon, uh, their build style is more like traditional film camera. That's what they're trying to emulate, which is generally why you'll see uh, their price point is higher than a lot of others because they're, and they're outright trying to emulate film and give you that look in there. And they're like, look, if it costs $2,000, and it costs $2,000 because we're Canon. <laughs> you know, we're Nikon. This is what it's going to cost. Uh, the other cameras that you're seeing, Panasonic and Sony, they're giving you the same options that the Canon Nikons do for three times the price. But what they're trying to do, they're trying to emulate the red and um, those uh, and, and the black magics. They're trying to emulate that, which is it's a whole new spectrum of film. You know, they're not emulating film. It's a new digital film. And it has its own set of parameters. It's basically what you see on TV. 
TV is shot in that style, and that's what people want to see. So things like things like the Panasonic are trying to emulate that at a lower price point. You know, so when you put those cameras next to the Canons and Nikon's, you are going to get a, a you can probably get just as clear, just as pretty of an image, but the textures of it are going to look completely different. You know, and and it's going to take some work to make them look to make them match. <clears throat> so your lenses. The brand you work with, while it is, it doesn't matter which one you work with, because it's all a matter of taste. Don't let anyone ever, ever tell you no. You need to shoot with this. You need to shoot with that. It's bullshit. You'll, you'll find a lot of people it's that will bullshit. tell you that. And yes, ignore them instantly. There are oh, anybody who says you need this. No, nope. unless they're talking about technical. You want to shoot in 4K? Well, then you need this camera. This camera. Fine. You know something that that that's one thing. But if there is someone who seems like a brand loyalist, discount them completely. Completely, yes. Yeah, but, yeah. See, but Mike, Mike <laughs> yeah. also, he uses specific things because he wants a specific look. He's you know. Facebook Live. Hmm. See, hi. <laughs> uh, yeah, certain people. Like yeah, he does. He, he yes, will admit. but that's the thing. He's been shooting with it for so long. This is what he and he knows how to get everything he wants out of it. Uh, he also probably keeps the same camera for quite some time. Yes. Buy one camera, eight years, ten years, he's still got the same temperature. He's got cameras from 20 years ago sure. that he'll still use from time to time. You know? No, that's, my film ones, my actual film ones, they're sitting on my shelf. Well, that's you. I'm talking about Mike here. Can I ask you same something, thing. Annie? Because you're, while you're on the subject, I don't want to forget my question. Uh-huh. If you guys are on the set of a movie and, like, somebody has, like, a Nikon and a Canon and then you have, like, a lower-grade can, uh, camera... When you guys go to mix that footage together, it's what? absolute hell. Okay, it's absolute hell. It, it is, it is hell. But it's is that not what impossible. you were going to ask too? Huh? Is that what you were going to ask too? Or no, I was going to oh. say a lot of people ask, like, "What camera do you use?" It was like, "It doesn't matter if you don't know how to use it." <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. absolutely. Yeah, like, you know, Mike can do that one kind thing. He does that really well. Yeah. He knows that camera. Well, he Mike's been a photographer for thirty years. Yeah. So he can do anything with anything. You know, yeah, he, he just know how to use other cameras. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Nikon is his preferred. Brand, okay. you know, uh, so he's loyal simply because thirty years in, this is my favorite, and Mike is a very stubborn human being, <laughs> you know. Sure. But there are some people who have got only a little bit of experience. Oh, I made a movie and this was great. I'm never changing. Like I was very big on Canon. I'm, I still am. I love Canon because I love the look. That I love that warm. I love that that soft focus. I think it looks like real film, and that's what I want. I like. I want my movies to be somewhere between the 16 millimeter Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the 35 millimeter of Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> That's what I want. That I like that, and a little bit of that 80s David Cronenberg type of. You know, I like that old late 70s to early. Even though Rosemary's Baby is a 60s, but Polanski. <laughs> Polanski was ahead of his time, except for his. We're not going to talk about him personally. Yeah, but that's Personally. But. Yeah. A question on this color thing. Let's say the same Canon uh, model of camera. Do you find that there's variations in when they were made? Uh, of course there is, yeah. They do make upgrades with it over time as they find flaws in the circuit boards and things like Yes, they will make, make improvements so you, with you your, you with your you series. Three of the same camera. But they might look slightly different. Very. You know, if, 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 that's at the very, same time. At the same time, they'll they'll be 
pretty much as, as accurate as possible. I mean, if they're, they're gonna, the, the uh, same meteor model, or whatever, not enough of a distance of a difference that it's really going to be that. No, there are slight variations here, and there may be a little bit of a CRISPR thing. Uh, what, what, what I mean is that the differences are. Uh, a lot of the like say the grain you get when you go and you're shooting in the shooting in low light all right and you bring your you bring your gain up or whatever you you, you know you bring that uh, your ISO up and you start to get that grain all right that really in the dark areas it gets all grainy and fuzzy you know the grain that everybody um, hates the grain that everybody hates <laughs> a a big a big reason why that even exists is um, first off just the quality of the camera Okay. Number one is the quality. Another part of that is the cir- the physical circuit board itself. These cameras have everything in such a tiny little area. All right. Those wires are actually creating some level of electromagnetic interference. All right. So the smaller that board is and the more little wires it has, the more interference it's going to create when you do that. And that's what that noise in that dark area is. It's Some of that is actually coming from the wires just being so damn close to each other. Okay, And the higher grade of, uh, of uh, um, materials they use, the purer the gold that's in that, the cleaner it's going to get. Okay, so a higher grade, so a full 24 karat gold bits into that, you know, into that circuit board. It's obviously going to cost you a hell of a lot more money. And that's probably what you're getting in the Ari Alexas and the red cameras. That's where you're paying for a $40,000 camera because it's got, probably got 24 karat gold on that circuit board or something to the effect of that of whatever type of conductor they specifically use it's a very high grade conductor and that's going to eliminate a lot of the grain inside of it and this is why I say what you want to shoot depends on how you want to shoot it and your brands is not about loyalty it's about what you want it to look like and what you need to get out of it so you can't grab three different cameras and just shoot your movie you know, uh, um, we we have we have tried that, and it's and and when I was first starting out, um, we had whatever we can get, so we were match we were literally matching. Now this is back in back in uh, two thousand five, we were we were matching two different Sony tape palm quarters to um, to a PD one fifty Sony, which is at the time one of the most high end um, uh, prosumer cameras, and um, and it was it was I, I learned very quickly. That you know, all three of these different cameras are showing me three different things of the exact same room. You know, you learn that very, very quickly. Um, I don't know if you remember this when we when we first started working together. We had two different cameras, and they were completely incompatible. So what the we had Panasonic. to do was the pa- it was a Panasonic and a camera and a Canon. What we had to do was um, we put both of them side to side. Do you remember this? We were at the house. We put them both side to side, and we and we focused on the same image. We we put them in two different inputs of the TV. One can and we pointed them at the same spot with the same light and everything, and just we put something red, something blue, and a bunch of stuff in front of it, and put the change the inputs on the TV and switch back and forth, and changed the color inside the camera itself until they matched. Until they came just, as close as possible, and then we looked at all the settings and we and we and we wrote down all the math for both of these cameras. We actually, we at this point we were going on ca- we were going on yes. set with a little notepad of how to change the settings. So if we wanted that camera to match this. <laughs> And depending on the light in the room, we actually had to go to our math and figure out exactly what settings would do it. And they would look completely different in the viewfinders. Yeah. But we knew that once we got that, that's as close as possible mm-hmm. to color matching that we'd have when we edit. Yeah. Well, see, that, that worries me. Um, 
because like one camera that I was looking at, that uh, the Sony HXR is nice mm -hmm. because it's like very light sensitive. It has like mm -hmm. a large 3 c sensor. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, maybe I could use that as my low light camera. And then you have that other one that I mentioned that's not so good in low light. Yes. So that's what I kind of worried about, you know, dealing with those two. I mean, I mean, he, he may have a different view on this, but but I, I, I would say um, if you're if you're looking for a single camera, look for the one that can do most of what you needed to do. Yeah, and then get and then get the most expensive one that you can that you can afford, right? The most high end one that you can afford. Um, you want you want that range, right? Because then if you have something that can handle low light very very well, you know, especially in horror films, we've all done this. You know, film a dark room. Well, that room is, isn't really dark. You want it to look that way, but it's really not dark, or it's going to be a completely black screen. Um, but you also want something that that gives you rich color. You know, so if you find a happy medium between those, you know, then you don't have to worry about matching because it's the same sensor for every single shot that you do. You know, um, and at one point, I mean, I think I think at one point we were so, we, we were using the Canon 60Ds for so many different things when we when both of our sides of our teams went, switched over from tape based things to DSLRs, and everybody was getting Canon 60Ds, and even people that only film with us sometimes they were going out and getting Canon 60Ds. So all these chips match. I think at one time we had five people with the same 60D camera. 60D on, on set. Five yeah. 60Ds yeah. on set. And, and, and what we did was, um, and this is a good important thing too, if you're using multiple cameras, and you might, you might know this already, but if you're using multiple cameras, and if they're all the same, whoever the DP is, or whoever the most experienced person is, to have him talk to the director, or her, or her talk to the director, and say, listen, this is the color scheme we're working with. One person has to be the master, and all the other camera people have to follow that person. Mm -hmm. And and they're told, don't change anything unless that one person tells you to. All right? Because I've experienced this. We've spent an hour matching cameras. Yeah. And a guy with, with a little less experience than the rest of the guys, he moved out of position and said, oh, this doesn't look right anymore. And change the exposure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And we and filmed that, for three that is how we hours yeah. like that, and it took me a week to bring up the grain just enough. Luckily, this is also something that I, I, I mean, I, I screw with all this anyway. So for me, it didn't really matter. This isn't really supposed to look at the real world that much anyway. But um, but if you're looking for something realistic, no, that is absolutely. I have vital. I have that problem in in, in this in, in the new movie. <clears throat> I have this uh, that problem with the cameraman who I've, I've, I I still work with. I work with them, but um, we were doing cross shots of two actors outside, just because of the position of the sun. His shot, not even the color, the contrast. It was so much brighter facing this direction because this was the side of the building, and over here we've got uh, hedges. So this absorbed all the light into the hedges, and the color and the light bounced off the side of the building. So his was. Bright as hell, really, really bright, and our and mine was nice and balanced. Okay, and the problem with the reason why we couldn't even notice it is because it's so bright we can't even see the viewfinder, we barely see the viewfinder in the middle of the day. That's this is why you see those 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 big those thing those big hoods that they put on to make it as dark as possible to look into that viewfinder. You know and. It was 20 degrees outside. <laughs> we weren't going that far. We had a little hood on top of it. It's like, all right, just get close enough. So, unfortunately, uh, Dave Gashman had to fix that. <laughs> he's, he's fully capable of doing so, but it was but, still... Yeah, that's, that's just more money in post. more money in time. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's... That are mm -hmm. I guess you have to introduce color into them? Or... Um, 
Well, you do more grading than I do, so right. you may be able to talk how. It's, I, I, I don't do color grading. It, 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 it really depends. Um, if it's completely blown out to the point where you're not seeing much of anything, um, uh, you just drop brightness all the way down until it looks ridiculously gray. And then just start bringing brightness up until, until, until you get to a point where, it, where it's manageable. Okay, and then and then you try to match contrast as much as possible to that. Don't even touch the color. Just see if you can get the basic image of that. And if it's something that's looks that's acceptable, then you can start messing around with with saturation. See if you can bring it back to where you wanted it to be. But I would suggest bring it all the way down because I, I've had fully white blown out images. I dropped the I dropped the brightness all the way down. All of a sudden I can see everything, but it still didn't work because I couldn't get it to the point where it would be acceptable to match everything else. You know, so once a few times you have to just reshoot, you know, but to connect to something you said earlier, when I was talking about the compression on your camera, on that, like on these phones, you're getting a 4K, but it's a highly compressed image compared to uh, 4K on here. That's going to something you're, you're probably never going to notice unless you get up real close to look at those pixels. You're not going to notice unless you're doing color grading that compression is going to limit your color grading like you will not believe Okay, a, a file that comes the file at 30 megabits a second versus a 300 megabit a second file is so completely different in post. It it'll make you sick, and it did because I was giving him some files that were rendered because it was edited. I had edited stuff together and I had rendered it, and I sent it to him in a way. And then he showed me. He's like, "Okay, you need to, you need to you need to bring this up. You need to use a different codec." It's like why? Why? He's like because the compression is just terrible, and he showed me, and he showed me the difference. So he told me the settings to use, and I re I re-rendered it and sent it to him that way, and he showed me the difference. He says, "Here, I'm going to bring up. I'll just bring up the gain on this one, and I'll bring up the gain all the way on that one. This one looked like it was made out of Legos, <laughs> and the other one just looked like it had a little bit of that grain that I was talking about earlier." Brought the whole image up, made it all brighter. This one looked like dog shit. It would, that would be completely unusable as is. And that's that was. This is where you're always learning. You're always you're always learning something new. I've never done any color grading to that level because I like everything in camera. So it's an obstacle that I've avoided by making everything, basically getting my final image on set. So I've avoided color grading and most color correction everything. So I just all I do is drop it in my timeline. I I can edit it and I can my movie's pretty much done. You know, uh, but that's the benefit of doing it that way. Unfortunately, if you make a decision on set with a something like that that you don't like, you're kind of stuck with it. And that's exactly why I don't like yeah. doing that yeah. because because I I don't I I don't want to I don't want to pre-edit in the in in the camera. All right, there's a lot of people that love that. I know, I just, I, I can't well, do it. Well, but at the same time, the uh, I think a lot of the reason why you do that is because you're not running the camera. I'm running my own and camera. And I'm also editing. Yeah, so yeah yes. Yeah, so you're so. not running the camera and you're editing, so you're not 100% on what every camera is getting beforehand. That's true. That So you want to have that freedom. I know I'm shooting it, I'm directing it, and I'm editing it, and I'm lighting it. So I'm saving myself time later. By just doing it right then and there. So that's why it's my decision to do it on set. But if you're a director who's not running your own camera, no, you absolutely want the option to change things. You don't want a certain color hard-coded onto that image. Otherwise, you'd be like, I hate this. 
I don't like this at all. And I'm sure he's that's happened plenty of times with some of our footage where he looks at this like, fuck. I have and no comment sit on there that. for weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, these, these, guys, these guys, these guys yeah. match incredibly close. I can, sometimes yeah. I can't believe how much they can, how much they can actually do when I don't even know what they're doing, and they, they get it together. And I look at it back and forth. I'm just like, this is really fun. Um, one, one way to avoid this, though, and, it, and it's, a, it's a tougher way to shoot. Um, uh, uh, my film Impervia was shot with one uh, uh, NEX uh, FS 700, I believe. Yeah. One. Okay, one with a with a, with a with a series of extremely nice lenses and primes, extremely nice lenses um, uh, that we, that we got because my cinematographer had access to these things. It's not like I owned twenty thousand dollars worth of camera equipment, you know. But we had access to these things, and we used everything we had access to. He always wanted to do a single camera shoot because once you have, if you can pull that off, you don't have to worry about matching chips. You don't have to worry about compression rates. Every mm-hmm. single thing in your well, you still do, but but not to not to match the cameras. Every single you, every single image you get is the image that you get, and it's going to match across the board. And and um, and for our film, it, knowing what you want out of it and knowing what you're doing is in, is very important if you if you're crushed for time, because my guy shot that entire film in under forty eight hours by himself with one Sony camera because he was prepared and we were prepared and as soon as we started we all ran in and did it you know but, but these things can be done then I mean and then editing this was a dream I, I, I found in a couple of things that I've done you know you use a single camera so that you maintain a look but let's say when you're going from the wide to a close up alright now things are because you're going in tighter things are there's less light so you have to you know, open the iris or, or pump the gain or do something to, to increase the luminance right then you now you have a difference in look. So now you know the close-ups are, are maybe a little more rainy. You can you can have a different yeah you can have so a difference in looks. closer or something it, so that you don't change the settings on. on, on the it de- it depends what you want to see though. I mean it depends on what you want that image to be. Um, uh, it's not going to perfectly match right, but the basic chip is going to match. The basis of this is going to match. You're not worried about different color tones. You're not worried about temperature. You're 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 going to have to adjust for things like that, but you don't have to worry about you know is 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 if when I move this up, okay, is this chip seeing reality like this chip is seeing? Yeah, I didn't realize you know? that. I only fixed it in post because I'm like, okay, all my close-ups I have to bring up the, oh, yeah. uh, the luminance. It, it, yeah. yeah, it depends. It depends. If you're trying to balance that, true. I mean, like you know, I, again, I'm I'm Sometimes kind of a poor you're... example of this because I because I'm I'm, I'm going to take it and I'm going to change it anyhow. Yeah. You know, but but yeah, to balance it out, yeah, you do. Sometimes the close-ups come up darker. Sometimes they come up lighter. It depends on your actor's skin tone. You come in closer, suddenly there's more light. The skin is is lighter. Oh, so, once you go the, yeah, once yeah, you're in closer, now there's more there's more of a light area on in your frame. So it might come up brighter. But this is what this is what you use fill lights for. When we use a fill light. Um, you light your whole scene. You have a set another light just to put it on the actor's face. Okay, just to kind of even out, even out the the shadows that are there and everything. So this way, when you move the camera in or you move it back, you move the light in or back. So you don't actually have to change the settings of the camera. You remove or add the light instead of keep constantly switching, switching the camera. Because then when you move the camera back, shit, what was my settings before I changed it? Mm-hmm. Change the light, right. move the light in order to to adjust that or kill a light. Yes, Maybe exactly. So yeah. if the fill light is there. And now suddenly it's too bright. You can just turn it off or turn it back on until it looks the way you wanted it to look. You know, uh, a lot of those things are really hard to 
to judge in camera too, it may look like, oh yeah, that looks really, really good. But then once you get into editing and you look at your um, histogram, is it the color histogram? Is that what it's called? Again, I've never, yeah, I, I, I don't do color grading at all. So I'm not entirely sure. When he started showing me some of those things, I was like, dude, I don't know how to you. So I, I <laughs> yes, yes. I just learned how to, what those all mean a month ago. And I've been, and I've been editing my own work for 10 years. A month We're ago, I just learned what any of those graphs do, and he started showing me. Apparently, my my um, my range of blacks, like Chris's, are between zero and five percent right. black. Uh, no, excuse me, hundred full total black. Total black is like five percent or so. I think is his. My range is somewhere between eight and sixteen because I don't like pure black. I don't like that pure. Crushed black contrast. I prefer that, you know, the softer. And that's it, yeah, and that's a, a big difference to us. He's, you know, he likes I, that I heavy black too. Crush blacks. I yeah. love that. And it's and it's just when, when when you see that, just the high contrast of that, you know. Yeah. But I understand too because because you know, I, I have a filmic look, but you can tell it's not film. Mm-hmm. You know, what he goes after is I want I want this to look like yeah. it's, it's I want to fool you into thinking mm-hmm. that I shot this on film. That's what that's what I do. I even add, I even add green. In post, I add authentic film grain in post, and I don't even do it to the point where we just throw one effect over, which is what you see a lot. Of, a lot of a lot of indie films, they they give you that. They give the scratches and all oh, that yeah. stuff, and you look yeah. at it, it's like it looks <laughs> fake. It looks really fake. <laughs> Never ever ever there's, ever do that. <laughs> there, there's two re- two main reasons, three main reasons why it looks fake. It's number one, it is fake. <laughs> It's fake as hell. <laughs> two main, the two main reasons why it looks fake, though, is number one, they overdid it. It has to be subtle, because when you go to watch a movie, uh, you know, watch a movie projected on film, that shit is there. All the scratches, noises there, but you don't notice it because it's natural. What these guys will do, they take that one effect and they just slap it on their edited version. And go, that's not how it works. And it repeats exactly in the yeah. same interval. Because you have a stopwatch. Yeah. 16 seconds later, oh, there's another scratch. Yeah, exactly. You have to think of it in terms of film. Every single cut of film, every little strip is going to have its own different level of scratches and bumps and everything. So every single time you cut, you have to change the effect again. So it's almost it's, – it's a nightmare to do it in post. It really is. To add all that stuff takes a long time because every single cut has to have a different level of grain, a different level of scratches, a different level of pops, dings, hair, everything has to have a separate individual. That's what makes it look natural because if you have this one line effect that suddenly went over into the next thing, there's only two reasons for that. Either you did it wrong or you're watching it through a projector that just has a problem and it's coming through the projector itself and we're obviously not watching a projector. So there should be no effect that goes straight over, unless the entire film, unless the entire, yes, exactly, unless the entire film itself just has this fucking scratch across it, you know? So that's the only way you're going to get it between cuts, in which case you need a new print, (laughs) you know? So you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be projecting that version anymore. But uh, uh, these guys do it in post and they just slap it on and, and it looks terrible, you know? Because you know what it is? They saw Tarantino and Rodriguez did it in Grindhouse. And they said, well, this is what they did. Like, they no, had they professionals. Did not do that. <laughs> they had professionals who knew what they were doing. Yes, they knew exactly what they were doing. They know how to make it look natural. And when it became like this, like really noisy, they did that on purpose. 
Yeah, right, right. The the crescendos of the yes, uh, exactly. The end of the film reels and, and, the, the, and the, the, the oversized cigarette burn yeah. and everything. They did that on purpose because it's just a stylish look. You know, unfortunately, too, when you're talking indie film, we have a much lower budget, and we are scrutinized on a much higher level. So don't even do that stuff. Don't even bother unless you can unless you can perfect it, make it so unnoticeable that people don't even see. Did you see it? Who's at my screening? At Data States, you saw. It. Did you see any of it? The hair, the jitter, the scratches, the grain. Did you see it? Because it's all very, very, very subtle, very toned down. You know, Dave actually brought some of it up because he says some of this is almost not noticeable. Do you want to see it? I do want to see it. Because what happened, what, what, what I like about that grain in it is along the edges of your actors, when they're in nice, sharp focus, the edges get a little bit of a, a, a little bit of fuzz to it. And that's also very evident in film. You can see that fuzz because that fuzz is the, the low contrast shift from the light to the dark background. You know, that, that fuzz lives inside that media, that mid-contrast range, you know. It's just, I, stu- I, I, I study more on how to, on, on exactly how film itself works once it's done and how to emulate that in digital than I do any other. I just, I just read more and more of, oh, well, this is what happened in post-processing in film because I never got to work with film. You know, so, to, so it's all... You know, I, I did. I did for, for photography. I did some. I developed some film in high school, but that's about it. I've never actually shot and worked. And I would love to do it. And he thinks I'm out of my mind. He thinks I'm, I think. It's, I think it's a cool concept. I just don't know. You're shooting 100. You want it to be as close as to your product, and he doesn't care because he's just gonna. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm taking an axe to everything. Yes. Yes, I do more. Well, you you end up doing both. You do end up doing color correction is going to be done no matter what, no matter how perfect it is. You're going there's going to be some things that come up differently from your from this little tiny screen to your monitor or your projector, and it's always going to look a little bit different. So there's got to be some level of correction no matter what. Yeah, there's 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 no movies in the theaters right now that I mean what you're seeing is 100% corrected. Absolutely not. Even if it's just the even if it's a half a percent of just Something. a little orange here or a little bit yeah. higher black level here every single frame that you're seeing is somehow normalized yeah. you know even they, they, they call it a lot it's something you could put across the entire thing even if it's just that it's you know, a look, up, you a see, look up table look up table yeah, yeah of all yeah. okay. yes you know and, and even if that is, you know, I mean, it's, it's every single you know, If you don't know what a LUT film. is, a LUT, these are lookup tables. Yeah. What those are is basically, um, like, say you want to shoot, uh, you want it to look like, say, let's say you want yours to look like a Polaroid camera. Polaroid cameras have a certain certain type of um, uh, 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 color palette that those, that, that that's, it's going to develop as, okay? The lookup table is basically telling your camera or your editing, whichever you're going to do it in camera, or you're going to do it in editing, telling your telling telling your system which colors the Panasonic the the the, uh, the Polaroid is using, how much blue, how much red, how much this, how much that, and that's where your colors are going to start at. That becomes your new zero. So when you go up or down, now you're grading it as uh, it's going to start it and put it into the Polaroid. Scheme of color, and it's making it look like that's that's natural. That's perfectly natural. 
Red Giant is yeah, those are plugins that yes, and then you can load your LUTs into that. That's a whole yeah. other thing. Yeah. yeah. Those are these it are it up, right? It, you know, where you've got like a grayish blue sky, now move that to mm-hmm. darker blue. Yes, yeah. And yeah, or purple. And, I mean, or, you know, it's or, like, or anything. Can, yeah, that's the beauty yeah. of it. You, know, you can you can correct it slightly to make it look more natural, or you can do whatever you want. Basically, what I'm doing is I'm using uh, when okay you have you have your camera and you see your camera has different color profiles indoor, outdoor, and all that on it. That's your camera's LUT. That's basically what it is. These now just because everything's digital, you can tell it this is the LUT I want to use. This is the levels I want to use. And I, before I even go into, before I go into shooting, I spend months going through all different pre-made color selections. Uh, for my first film, I used one um, that was made by Kodak for my camera, Technicolor. Old school 80s tech. So I shot the, the movie in two-band Technicolor. That's cool. Mm-hmm. So it looks like this movie was shot in 1983. That's cool. Right? You know? And I've had, I've had uh, um, other directors and cinematographers of movies who use cameras twi- two, three, four times the <coughs> level. I have a 60D. It's a less than a $1,000 camera. I've had guys who work with five and six $10,000 cameras ask me, how the hell did you get that look? <laughs> Simply because I used this. And it's this. This was a ten dollar plugin that I took and I loaded onto my camera. But it took me six months of research to figure out that this is the one I wanted. Okay, and DPs and cinematographers work with the director for a long time, trying to find the coloring that they want to start with. And that's what they've. That's traditionally that's how it's always been done. Uh, you figure out what color you want. So this way, you would choose the film stock you want. You know, uh, um, we don't use film anymore. But even when you, even when you, um, even your regular photography, when you bought it, it told you whether it was daylight or nighttime or indoor film, everything. Because when you, you know, because that, yeah, that cut and it told you what your ISO was. It was on there. It was hard, hard burned into that film. If you wanted to shoot outdoor and you had a 1200 ISO film or whatever, which I think, no, I think film only went to 600 or 600, 800. 800, yeah. Uh, if you had an 800 ISO film and you were shooting outside, useless. Way too much light was coming in through that. Way too much light, you know? And then you'd bring it to you, you'd bring it to go get it developed, and you get these, everything's all white and blown out. And you just think most people would think, oh, this is a shitty camera. No, it's not the camera, it's the film. And that, that worked, that was the same way with film, with movies. They have to choose their, they have to choose their ISO, they have to choose their color palette, they have to choose the, are they shooting indoors, outdoors, what's the temperature of the lights? They had to choose all that beforehand. There is no guesswork on set. Now we have the luxury of guesswork. Think like, well, we'll just show up, point the camera. How does it look? Because you can see everything. You can there, see it and really close to what it's mm-hmm. going to finally yeah. be. It was always a guessing game before. That's actually a good. Always that's a, actually a good example right there. When you looked at the directors and you look at behind the scenes, the directors and you see them watching that little monitor. Yeah. You know, now they're shooting on film. All that monitor is telling the director is what what they're shooting. And you notice on those monitors, it looks very black and white almost. It's not full black and white. Just black and white. It looks that way. That's what the black magic camera <laughs> will look like when you shoot. That flat color. There's no color that's overpowering another one. To go to what we were talking about earlier, yeah. <laughs> to that that neutral color. 
And also, uh, was, uh, the, was Star Wars shot on film? Absolutely. The original, the original no, I mean, three. The, the, oh, they've been using it. I heard seventy. Oh, the new ones. Film? The new ones. Oh, yeah. The new ones. Uh, Why are no. They using film? Uh, no. The um, no. Tarantino shot the Hateful Eight on that seventy millimeter. George yeah. Lucas and George Lucas does not want film anymore. You don't touch it at all. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I episode think two one was, was filmed in uh, with, with film the, the original three. Movies. The original, yeah. Those those were, and, those and episode animated, one yeah. and episode one. Yes, episode one. Episode two was the first big budget digitally shot film. Really? Yes. Which is why it looked terrible because it was a brand new thing. These digital the, the cameras. First one was was uh, was um, um, F thirty five. Episode one. Yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Oh, okay. No, episode two was was the first digitally shot uh, feature film, major motion, you know, and everybody thought he was nuts because. And then you look at it, and you look, remember you remember all the scenes in the in in, in the uh, in the council, the terrible terrible green screen work, all the CG looked horrible, like they looked like they're just popping off the screen because the technology rough. just wasn't there to get that. Clarity that you would have needed to do proper CG for it, because you know the CG existed. Because Jurassic Park was years before it, and it looked absolutely perfect. Hell, Star Wars had some had had little Pixar came from the Star Wars team. These yeah. guys have been doing it thirty five years, forty years at that point. If anybody knew how to do it right, it's it's Lucas and his team, and they and that CG still looked terrible in Episode Two. It was horrible. But he wanted to – Lucas has always been a huge supporter of the new, of moving forward. And when he came out and he said, I'm shooting this on digital, I, I, I'm surprised they gave him the money at that point. You know, But he had Spielberg who was agreeing with him. He's, they said, all right, let him do it. Does, not that he had a decision, but when right. you have a heavyweight like Steven Spielberg sitting next to you saying he knows what he's doing, all right, fine. They'll just, you know. Yeah. Are there any directors or cinematographers that you follow either their methods or their style? Um, quite a few. Quite a few. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, not – not so much his film not so much his films themselves he's got a couple that I that I enjoy but most are you know it's his work ethic is he yeah and quality it's not uh, it's not just quick cheap and fast because quick cheap and and, and, and easy and good yeah quick cheap and good yeah it's you know he is he he likes to do a lot by himself is just like like I do. I'm all right. I'm writing it. I'm directing it. I'm gonna light it. I'm gonna edit it, so I can make a lot of decisions in advance. He's the same way. He makes a lot of decisions in advance. He has a program. Um, my wife found this out a while ago. He has a, an animation program, and he creates his entire film shot for shot in an animation program before they shoot it. So when he's in rehearsals with his actors and when he's talking to his to his cameraman, he says, this is what I want. Watch the scene. Pre-visited. Yep. Totally. That's crazy. Yeah. Totally animated out. It's done before it's before it's done. That's his animation studio is in the house. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he does it that way. Yeah. He has, he has yeah. access And to they're that. probably yeah. going to be doing... To, to, a, to a point. To a yeah. Point. I mean, I mean, yeah. He, he, and they're probably going to be editing it too anyway. Yeah. 
they have things like so that it's going to go story. right to them. But everything is everything is done right there. So he doesn't do storyboards. His storyboards are animated, so he can sit on set with a with a with a tablet and say, oh, "Here's our here we're going from this to this to that. What is the most efficient way of getting between these angles?" So he doesn't waste a single minute of footage. He knows exactly the shot he wants, exactly what he's going to use because he's already seen it. He knows it looks good. We're going to do it. Yep, it's already done. But he's also, he's also a guy that, that traditionally worked in film and always wanted to work in film mm-hmm. and he and did the Spy Kids movie in digital and yeah. said, oh, that's what this is about. Yep. And and has been very very vocal. I will mm-hmm. never shoot in film again. Yeah. And he's a big advocate for the digital now. David Lynch said that. Like, David yeah. Lynch said he will never touch film for as long as he lives, ever again. He will never shoot. But you have people like Chris Nolan who will never touch digital. Short of Never. He hates digital. Quentin Tarantino hates digital. Um, I don't know if Polan- has Polanski switched to digital. I couldn't tell you. I really, I really wouldn't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, some, some of them, some, uh, most most directors have have a preference, and the one, a lot of the directors who've been working 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years, they look at digital like, oh my God, this is a savior. <laughs> If yep. we had David Lynch says that, if I had this forty years ago, I would have never touched a film camera. I never did. If this is, but that's always my argument for it. I mean, people people say you know, like it's it's kind of like records and CDs when that when that argument was going on. Um, it's, it's personal preference. I mean, yeah. I, I've never worked in film, but I have respect for people who do. Yeah. And if they wish to do that and really go through that process, more power to them. I think it's wonderful. You know, um, I, I think for the most part, I mean, they're still cutting it in a computer and doing it non-linearly anyway. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. I think I think you, you you told me that Tarantino was actually taking the the cutting gigantic film. seventy millimeter uh, negatives. Yeah. And and Tarantino cutting them, is still cutting. You know, them cut and pasted, like mm-hmm. literally cut and yeah. pasted. I mean, you know, that's... Uh, but that's also why his I mean, movies... He's the only guy doing that today. That's also why most of his movies are eight people in a room. Because he's spending so much money right. on the film, on, on, the, on, on, on having somebody sit there and cut and all that stuff. He's spending all the money there. All right, fine. I can do a great, I can do a great story of eight people talking to each other for two days in one room. You know? And he does it. That's why he's. That's why he does. He also. He also. He's like you. He dreams very big. A lot of his stories, and he feels that movies are not enough of. He thinks Kill Bill is the only movie he's ever made that got ninety percent of everything he wanted into it. So uh, he keeps saying, "Oh, I'm gonna. I'm. I'm leaving film. I'm leaving film because he. They. They leave out in the article. They leave right. out the other half of that sentence because he'd rather do TV. <laughs> He'd rather take a story and do ten episodes with it, so he doesn't have to cut it down to ninety minutes or two hours. He'd rather tell a story over the course of on HBO for three, four, six hours instead of two. That's why he wants to leave film. I, I like to say something uh, that you said before. You know, you, you're just, just starting to learn this stuff, and you have to learn more of it. Um, uh, you know. Everybody in this room is still learning. We're all learning, okay? Every single person is still learning. He teaches me new stuff all the time. I mean, just just crazy things. Um, uh, the story I tell people, when people get down on themselves and they go, oh, you know, I, I don't know that, I have to learn that. Um, I always tell them the same story. Um, um, Akira Kurosawa, that was that directed uh, Seven Samurai. He was given, a couple of years before he died, he was given a Lifetime Achievement Award. All right? This is a man who, who you know, George Lucas saw his films and said, I need to make films. I mean, this is one of the most renowned and beloved his, directors in history. Kill Bill is it's, all it's, it's seven, all, seven, seven, all, seven. That's right, exactly. Um, uh, Magnificent Seven comes from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. um, but he stood up and he said, um, thank you very much. I accept this award grudgingly. 
because I do not feel that I have perfected my craft. Nobody. And it was, and I, I believe it was Lucas and Spielberg that were giving him this award, and they're both like, <laughs> you know. So, it, it, so he understood. This man understood that that you can you can do this until you're 110. It doesn't matter if you're 110 in one day. You're going to learn something more about this. You know, none of us can know all of this. You know, and it's just take in as much as you possibly can. You know, I, I do um I do a, t- a ton of background work on television. I'm on I'm on maybe two dozen TV shows a year. And what I'll do is I'll, I'll every single time that I'm there, there's a lot of waiting around. You guys have been on set, you, you know, this is a lot of waiting around. Most people will sit there on their phones and do things like that. I'll wander. And, yeah. and sometimes I'll look behind the sets and how the walls are built. Sometimes I'll look at certain things. Sometimes I watch the, I watch the catering. How, how do they move in and out of there, you know? But a lot of times I watch the camera crew. And, and it's the, yeah, it's, and it's the best because you can see so many different things and you can see how people interact, how the camera crew interacts, how things, and then I take that and I bring that back and, I, and, we, and then we start sharing that kind of thing. I've you know? even now, like in New York City, you could walk down the street and see them filming. Like, uh-huh. You had a, a batch of them, like just sitting out there waiting, you yep. know, the, the gaffers and the people. Mm-hmm. And so I started asking them questions. Always. You know, well, how do you know? I said, well, um, and most of those guys, if they have the time, they love talking about it. You know, you're going to find a lot of like really gruff people. Oh, you, you know, and you you will, but you'll also find you know people that that are willing to talk to you about these things, right? And there and there literally are so many productions. If you guys are interested in doing this, I mean, there are so many productions in New York right now. Yeah. Um, I, I tell people in in the in the past two years, I have wandered off set and walked into the wrong craft services for a different show. And both and at both times it's, it was for a person of interest. Mm-hmm. I was I, I mean I'm, I'm working on Orange and New Black and I walk out and I'm I'm getting coffee and they're like who are you? Mm-hmm. And I walked into a different set. That's how close they were in the street or in the studios. And and, and there's there's something like 35 or 40 different productions going on right now in New York City. Yeah, you know, in, insane amount of work. And this with yeah. It's rough, and it's brilliant, but it's rough, and um, and uh, it, it it took our best di- best director yesterday. I I lost to, I lost to the director of this film, best director, best st- actress, and I still stood up and clapped yeah. for her because it was yeah. one it earned. Yeah. Oh yes, and and this woman, um, uh, uh, she never made a film before, and she decided as a present for her for her sixtieth birthday she was going to make a movie. And uh, she got an actress, and she's like, yeah, she couldn't be here because she's seventy-five, and and that's the and that actress won best um, actress, a supporting actress in a, in a short film. 
if you can, if you can, if, if, you, if you're good for it, go see Penitence. It's wonderful. But at 220, please, I'd love to see you all come to yeah. see Impervia. Ask well, whatever you like about it. It's 130 right now. You know? It's 130 right now. <laughs> so, I just, yeah. If anybody does want to go to the you're out, welcome to. But, um, <laughs> fine. So, uh, I know he wanted to see this. He wanted to look at this camera. If you're, if you're interested, a couple of these little things I wanted to show you here. Oh, yeah. show you the toys yes this this I, I, I saw I'll go ahead, yes, go ahead. huh this uh, no this is a um, this is a loom cube it's a light this is a little light it is USB powered uh, you charge it through USB it's got an internal internal uh, uh, light in it uh, uh, battery uh, I think at full power it lasts about an hour at full power, uh, 50% power to do two, two and a half hours. Um, and it's got 10 levels of brightness. Can you change the color? Uh, not in this version, not in this one. Uh, they have different, different levels, different lights for a little, uh, uh, and this is also Bluetooth enabled. So I can control this via my Bluetooth and it can connect to I think I think up to six different lights at the same time. That's like a 5600. Uh, yeah, this is true daylight. This is true daylight. Uh, they do have ones with where, where the lighting. I don't want to point it in your eyes because it's very bright. Um, they have version. They have some of them where you can. Um, is that it? There we go. Um, where you can actually, it will change the color inside internally through the Bluetooth. <laughs> It'll switch it that way. You can set it on a timer. It's got flash capability so you can use it as a flash it's also waterproof so you can shoot this out in the, on the desk. some of them they have another version which is magnetic so you can take a bunch of them make a line you can have an entire LED light out of it and this is $80 what we've been using for a long time are you know those little uh, LEDs you get them on Amazon $30, $40 you know um for that price, it's a great little light to have. Those are those are awesome to have. I got like seven or eight of them myself, you know. But they run anywhere from four to six batteries each, and those batteries will last you about an hour to an hour and a half. So you can go through twenty dollars of batteries, twenty thirty bucks of batteries in one day of shooting. You know, keep changing them for eighty dollars. This one little thing will easily replace two of those LED sets. And the one concern I have about LED mm -hmm. is. Technology itself—it's actually—it's a flash. Yeah. And if you start to play with, let's say, you know, you're screwing around with the film and you're, you're, you mess with the. Mm -hmm. speed yes, you start to see the flicker. You see the flicker. Yeah. Uh, um, most um, because that's an issue. A lot of cameras, uh, again, your your frame rate can adjust that. <laughs> but um, I know Premiere does have an anti-flicker filter, which will pop it right out. Oh, It'll be gone. Yes, that flicker will disappear. Um, I've, I, I've, I don't use Premiere myself, so I don't know exactly how it works. But um, one of the uh, my sound, one of the sound guys on this, he does his own films, and uh, he showed me. He said, "Look, here it is. It's a plug-in." He goes, "Flicker on, flicker off," and it <coughs> and it was very. I think my new camera has that feature. See, the cameras might have it as well. And I mean, the 60D doesn't have something like that, <laughs> you know. But uh, yeah, I know that Premiere does have that. Maybe that's a new feature. Again, I don't use Premiere. Huh? Adobe 17. Does it? 
It has the anti-flicker. Yeah. So it is something that can be adjusted in post now. Uh, I do. I do know the concern, though. I do. I see it sometimes in camera. Which I again, I prefer it because I, I like the warm. I like. Yes. Yes. I like that much better myself too. Um, but when you're when you're running gunning and you're trying to do things on the cheap, you got. I can, I can, I have an entire production, everything I need. I want to make a short film right now. I can fit it all in right in this little bag, you know? So, <laughs> you know, we can shoot something right here based on what fits in this bag. And, yeah, like you saw, you played with this earlier. I know he wanted to look at it, so I'll let him I'll let you. This was, uh, $120 to $150, depending which model you get. Uh, they all got to play with it, so if you want to come take a look at it, you can. Uh, is that only for a cell phone? Or is this is specifically for cell phones, yes. Yes, this is specifically for cell phones. When you see the movies, uh, you've all seen Aliens. Aliens, the the, the, the giant guns that they use in Aliens, those were camera rigs. Those are called, those are steady cams. It's something that the actor wears as a vest and it sits on an arm and it works just like this. Okay? And that's how they made, that's how they made the guns in Aliens. James Cameron saw those and he said, those are amazing. You know? And those rigs run about thirty to sixty thousand dollars. Well, you have some entry level ones that are. They and do. They're not bad because I have one. Yeah. I have one. Costs about four hundred dollars yeah. for my for my sixty D, and it's nowhere near as smooth so as this. Glide cam or a steady cam or. Hmm? Uh, mine was a glide cam. Yes, I have a glide glide cam with a steady 1, 000, arm. Two thousand or four thousand. Uh, two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. Because you got one put out by Kane TV now that takes up yeah. 15 kilograms or something like that. Take a look at it. Sure. You said they make Yeah, they do. There's a couple different there's a couple different companies that make these for different weights of cameras. Um, that's probably more black magic camera weight, and they do have one for black magic. I've seen it at the I've seen it at the Canon Expo. Everybody keeps saying that they make something bolder to this. Yeah, you should turn me into a giant. That is the. Can I put this? The Smooth C handheld gimbal. Right there. Yeah. I'll be writing that down. Yeah. Let me just take this out so you can flip it over and look at it. Oh yeah. Like I said, I'm going to miss stuff. Now, I'm not like sponsored by these people or anything. This is just what I, I like it. It works. Yeah. It's cheap. It's easy. Uh, Steadicam actually makes one for cell phones as well that's not motorized. No. I thought so, too. I thought I heard that. $80. Oh, it's not motorized. So. It's non-motorized. Yeah. But it's Steadicam. Yes. Yeah, so it's, a- it's theirs. But it's but I'm saying it's made by Steadicam. This doesn't require any skill. So no. You know, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. My only real concern with this is because the this the the phone itself has a pro mode. You know, so I can manually adjust my iris. You manually adjust my focus on these. You know, you the 4K, but you, yeah. like a lot of people say, they, they focus on, on the resolution, and you forget that there's all sorts of... Yeah, I don't do anything, I don't do anything in auto, ever. I do not shoot auto anything. If that camera cannot go auto, I'm not touching it. That's why I bought this, I knew that it had an auto, I knew it had a, had a, had a manual feature, you know? Uh, and then it's called promo. Oh, yeah, you gotta, you gotta, oh, you, uh, no, 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 that's, uh, here. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
Oh, I see. You want to tilt it, you have to do it with the button. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. It just keeps it. Otherwise, it just stays steady. Promo. There's your option. So you can walk around drunk with that, and your picture wouldn't tell that you were drunk? Yep. It's pretty cool. Really, really cool. Yeah, it looks a little warm. Yeah, See, here's one of the things that, that, that when you're talking about uh, ISO versus gain. Um, what? Oh, you want to do it? Sure. Um, you, uh, 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 you have true ISO on your cameras and you have gain ISO. All right. Now, you know, with film, you had it was 160, 320, 600, 800. Huh? Yeah, it would more or less double. And that was your film ISO. In digital, you have 160, 2, 2, 2, you know, there's there's settings in the middle. Those are not true. That's just an upage of gain. You know, rather than, yeah. yeah, rather than the camera itself actually adjusting to where its light levels are going to be, in between that 160 and 320, it's just bringing up gain. When you jump it to 320, okay. it's actually changing where your light level should be. Yes, it's changing the zero of your blacks and whites. So that's when you have, you got true ISO and you have gain. Those are the differences in digital. You know, so that this way there is that, because I mean, when you're talking film, it's a, it's a jump. That's a big jump in light, in light levels. You know, so, um, that's so cool. I love watching it do that. Oh, battery's uh -huh. dying. Battery's dying. Uh -oh. It's all right. I got another. Yeah, let me give that a minute. I have other batteries. Uh, so that's the difference between gain and ISO in digital. So the uh, the ISO is actually changing uh, where your where your white where, where your light zero light and hundred percent light should be. Uh, so that's how it makes that differentiation within that. And anything in between those true gain those true ISOs are just a gain setting on your set. So, do you find that you try to, you know, get it as close to overexposure, and then you can just bring it down because you're bringing it up to introduce noise or get a range. Um, you try to keep things properly exposed, but me personally, I make horror movies, so I'm always in the dark. So I'm always fighting. I'm always fighting that noise. Well, because again, harsh shadows. Uh, not what I like to do. Keep again, do it natural, and then and then yeah. bring it bring it way right down to. to he he shoots. He shoots harsh. Uh, I don't. Uh, is this dead too? Oh, maybe it's just. There we go. Okay. There we go. There you go. 
That's a gimbal, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's a mechanized. It's a motorized gimbal. So instead of instead of uh, a couple of balanced, yeah, use a joystick to go up and down, back, left to right. Yeah. Oh, so see, that's okay. That's 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 the pan and tilt mode. Rather, uh, that's the excuse me the. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, the axis. Yeah. Tilt. Tilt. Yeah, that's a tilt mode, and then I can and you hit the button twice, click it, click, and now now move it. It should change. No, no, no. Move the joystick. It should change whether it goes up and down or back. Yeah. See, hey, it'll change different settings. Again, I've, I've had this maybe two or three weeks. I haven't had a chance to really play with it, so I'm still figuring out what the settings are. Yes, I want my next. I want. I want. My plan was to do my next short film on a cell phone because we got two of these. What's the size of the files that's putting out? Is that uh, manageable? Or huge? Right now, they're very. They're highly compressed, so they're. They're manageable. Oh, they're, they are manageable, yes. But like I said, when you're doing the compression, you lose your you lose your color correction For ability. You, you're not, yeah. You're just touching it. Well, that's what I'm moving into now. I want to start working in that more flat, simply because I found a color grader that I like to work with. Because I don't like color gradings. I found some, we know Dave Geshman. I like working with him, and he does amazing work. So now the fact that I can give it to somebody who can do it properly, <laughs> uh, I'm... Leaning more towards the way he works, you know. Yeah. I got this. Nothing cool. Uh, why what? Why? I mean, you have real cameras. Well, first off, because again, I, I, I bought two of these, and um, for, I have one. My wife has one, and they're seven hundred dollars each. So I spent fourteen hundred dollars on two cell phones that have cameras that technically by a sensor but technically are better than the camera I use you know the the big drawback is the, I'm stuck with this lens yeah you can't adjust you, you, the lens you can't manually focus yeah. you can't you can't um, do anything any, any kind of depth of field you can't some people say you shouldn't be yes exactly I don't shoot with zooms I do not use zoom lenses I don't like zoom lenses at all because they're much much worse in low light. I use all primes. Uh, I uh, uh, my first, both both my movies. Um, I'm gonna say a good eighty percent of them were shot with the Canon Nifty Fifty. Yeah, try to keep it all wide, and I need a close up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that brings the background. Yeah. There's also um, um, a, a growing trend in film festivals. If you guys are involved in that, there are some film festivals that are only smartphone film-based festivals. So everything you'll see there is only shot on smartphone. Yeah. And it was a novelty three years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And there are about 20 of them around the world right now. And I think this time next year, with these with these working cameras, you're going to see a bunch of them. Yeah. They, call, they call them pocket festivals. You keep them in your pocket. I mean, these crazy things. Uh, I'm, I've been... I wanted to, I'm going to slowly get into that. Yes. Uh, there's a movie called Tangerine. Yes. Has anybody heard of this? A movie called Tangerine. Um, the director of that was <laughs> the producer of the TV show Greg the Bunny. Greg the Bunny? The married to oh, children uh, with the puppet. Basically, was married with children with. Uh, no, no, that that's the Seth MacFarlane. No, no, the younger guy. The guy who plays Chris. Oh, Seth Rogen. Yeah. No, no, no. Oh no, uh, I don't know. I don't Seth watch Green. the show. Seth Green. Seth Green. Yeah, yeah. No, not him. Not him. No, we're not talking. No, this was this guy was like line producer or something on the show. He was one of the showrunners, just behind the scenes. He made a movie called Tangerine, and he shot the entire thing on an iPhone. 
All right, shot it in 4K on his iPhone. Um, he used the Steadicam version of this, uh, so it was a true gimbal. Um, he used a program to get around the compression. This program called Filmic Pro, which gives you a higher file size. I think that I think that the uh, I, I I honestly don't know what the uh, the the megabits per second on this is because I I haven't I haven't used it much, not yet. Um, but let's just say it's something something like I think this is recording at about sixty megabits a second, possibly give or take. I could be totally wrong on that, but the Filmic Pro is going to is going to change the sensor and you're going change the sensor's abilities and you're going to get 150 200 megabits a second out of it. So you'll get a lot more in not more information into all of your into your images. What would you all say right? this, the, the, today with HD the lowest megabits per second you should now use? Uh, how cheap? Uh, don't go below 15 ever. Don't go below 15. Uh, once you go below 15, um, sometimes the most most full regular, full, most like 50 inch HD screens, you're going to see pixelation at 50 at 15, 16 a second. Freaking YouTube. Yeah, my my, my my Canon started out at like five, seven, yep. mm-hmm. 10, 15, goes all the way up to 25. Yeah. And now that the new Panasonic that I have starts mm-hmm. at 50, <coughs> 200. Yeah. Well, it's a matter of what, what, you're, what you're planning on doing with your final product as well. Now, that's that's also something to take into consideration. Just simply simply for the sake of saving yourself some money and time. What do you want to do with it? Are you just going to put it on YouTube? You want to put it on Vimeo and things like that? Fine. If you wanna you wanna go to festivals and things like that where it's going to be projected big, the bigger the file size, the better. If you're going to keep it online. Then oh yeah, you can probably skirt 10, 15 megabits a second. I, I, my my podcast is just audio, and I'll put images on the screen during it. And if I go below 10 megabits a second, I'm getting pixelation on still images. So that's is why I say don't go below 15 for video. You know, still images get pixelated. I'm sure video is going to look like but a nightmare. When, like, I think when I shoot and I try to shoot it as high as I can tolerate it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Submitted to film festivals, so put it on a DVD and trying to get it down to 0.5. Are you okay? If I put it on YouTube, I'll put it at um, 720p. Just yes. Yep. One of, the, one of the things I see other filmmakers cuts the do, file size and the entire full quality on the internet, and you can't watch it because it's, it's, it's just buffering for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Uh, build different uh, versions of it. That megabit per second ratio also depends on which. Which codec you're using for it? Some of them are much better at low res, at, at low file size and keeping keeping the quality. Like something for uh, you're going to do it on DVD, it's low, but it's also not your full HD image either. So you're taking this big image and you're crushing it down to this. So even though you have a lower file file size itself on a DVD, you're only looking at a seven uh, a 480 resolution versus a 1080 resolution. Yeah, DVD, Those, DVD is standard of definition. No by, matter by what format. It, the, the, the format itself of DVD physically cannot play a 1080 resolution. Right. You can take your 1080, put it onto that disc, and it crushes it. Will, it's NTSC. That, that's, yep. that's, the, yeah, that's the difference between Period. DVD and Blu-ray. Yep. Blu-ray is high-definition so playback. I HD on, on YouTube, even though it's 720, it's, you know... It's 720. No, yeah, YouTube will, sh- YouTube will, so will play won't go HD. HD, you will only see 480. Um, no, if you put it on no, a DVD... On a DVD, DVD disc, is, is what I'm saying. On a disc, yeah. it's standard yeah. definition. 
period. That's, that's the format of, of the uh, yeah. Six forty by four eighty or something. Uh, four eighty. Uh, uh, well, forty seven, by seven twenty. Seven, seven twenty by four eighty. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. That, so that's, so you. I mean, I mean, you get the Avengers. Okay, uh-huh. on, on uh, you, you, the Hobbit, eight K. You know, you put that onto a DVD. Okay, it's a standard definition version of the Hobbit. Yep. You know, and that's that's the difference between. The, which is why you're seeing that DVD only standard and the Blu-ray standard. That's yeah. the difference. Which is why you're seeing that five five megabit a second because it's 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 standard. You're only it's only max. It's four four eighty lines of resolution. So you're going to get a nice crisp image because you're taking that 1080 really and crushing it down. It's going to it's going to look nice and crisp. Right. It's going to look good, you know. But it's still a much smaller image. It's again, it's like the HD, the the 4K versus HD that I'm saying. You're doing the same thing, so you're you're compressing it all into this one little tiny thing. So it looks nice and crisp and clear on your TV, but you're in a fall, smaller file size because you just lost 600 lines of resolution. Are you, are you shooting in, like, let's say, 16 by 9 and then doing uh, two, 2, 3, 5? I do. And, and then deciding, you know, I absolutely the, uh, do that, yes. You know, oh, you know, you give them a little haircut or... That's what I do. I, I, do, that sim- I do that because sometimes um, uh, 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 something's caught in the background that I don't like. When you shot it, you missed it, yeah. they move it up. That exit sign is the bane of my existence. We did a, we did all, a lot of nightmare sequences. And we shot this in an office, and you know, state law says that every every the end of every hallway in an office building has to have one of those red glowing signs there, so everybody can see it in the dark. We're shooting in the dark. I cannot turn those off at all. So every nightmare sequence, at the end of the hall, there's a giant glowing red exit sign there, and I used those to crop it out. And now it just looks like there's a glowing red light on top of the on top of every frame. <laughs> And I, and, I, and I never, I never cropped like that. Yeah. Well, I knew again, again, I knew that I was going to crop it. So I, so I, so I made sure he was where I wanted him in frame, and I didn't worry about the exit sign over his head as much. I knew I was going to crop it as long as, as long as it didn't go behind his head where I couldn't lose it. I had to frame him properly so it was always above his head. So even if I'm seeing it in the shot, the top of his head will be my, uh, my cutoff. So I could always reframe it to do that. And again, because it's glowing, yes, happy accident so kept the nice... Yeah, I, I, I worked with it. And that's, you, that's, you, you, you learn you, that. You work, with, work with it. There's it. a problem. Do not give yourself a headache over it. Find a way to make it work in your benefit. Because I went there during the... When I went to scout the location, I walked around. I said, oh, this is great. But of course, all the lights are on. So I didn't realize... I didn't even think... I didn't realize... I didn't think. When I turned those lights off, that's going to glow. I didn't even think of it. So I'm, t- I'm scouting the location. I'm looking around. And I'm like, oh, there's exit signs. Oh, no big deal. Like, this is an exit sign. And then as soon as we turn those lights off, boop, it turned on. And I said, fuck. You didn't have any of those glowing stickers. No, no, no. Fortunately, we were, we were shooting at a law firm. So everything was very, um, very minimal all across the board. They had very little of this. We, we took they had regular paintings on the wall. And fortunately... Part of the theme of my movie was a paint was was a painter, you know. We were following paintings and doing very classical looking images for it. So, um, when we did certain scenes where we wanted to make it look very uh, kind of strange, we took all the paintings off the walls, and you and you're looking as he's walking through this nightmare, and there's squares on the wall, and it looked like it looked like there were paintings missing, and it, and it's a theme of the movie, so it it added to the whole effect of the nightmares. 
Use it to your advantage. <laughs> and guys, thank you so much. We have to wrap up. There's a makeup thing coming in right now. Um, if you're interested, if you're interested in seeing some of this, um, uh, I know I know it's going to clash with my flick, but uh, Beatrice Sniper is going to be in here. She's an amazing makeup artist. So if you guys, it's up to you guys what you want to see. But, uh, but uh, if you like makeup more, stay here for her. And uh, guys, thank you so much. Thank you very much. LC. She will. She's going. If, if, if we have to check and see if we're we're okay with the with the quality, but okay. Elsie said she will screen Data States in here at five o'clock today. Oh, sweet! Because a lot of people are asking where they can see it because they missed it Friday night. Yeah, it's not screening again today. No, it's just the only short films are being rerun. So it seems like now we're going to check this room. We're going to check the quality of the projector and the sound and make sure you know we can get it up and running. But five o'clock, we sounds like we'll be doing the screening. Nice. Yeah, we'll be sunned out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Five o'clock. Yeah, it'll be dark. It'll be dark enough. So, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you all. Next time you get a movie, great. And anybody who's interested in effects, the next. I'm not screwing up somebody's location.